Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. I'm not sure I have to preach after that. That was good. Hey, you know what else was good? I, you know, I know for some of you this is your first Sunday here, but for the last um, couple months, Mike's been preaching and he's done a heck of a job. Thanks, Mike. We are um, starting a a new sermon series this morning, and we are calling it, What Would Jesus Think? And uh, I don't know how long we'll be in it. I imagine we may wrap it up the Sunday after the women's retreat, but um, I'm excited about it. I feel like God wants to do some things through it. And through our study of His Word and what it has to say about our minds. And so this morning, um, I I just want to introduce this series. If this is your first time here, perfect. We just started. We stand on level ground. Nobody knows anything that you don't. Um, But uh, we're going to talk today about just how crucial your thought life is. How your beliefs guide your behavior. And um, we'll do that by talking about Jesus, his life. We'll also talk about his first sermon, the first public message Jesus ever gave. And we're also going to talk about the first commandment, which you know commands us to love God with all our mind. And so before we do that, I just want to talk to you about, um, I guess, how this sermon series came about, why we're doing what we're doing. Um, Anybody interested in that? So this was not the sermon series I had planned. I planned on doing something called Saved Four Works. I thought Mike did a fantastic job telling the Exodus story and explaining to us as a church that we are not saved by works, that we don't rescue ourselves, that we don't redeem ourselves. God saves us. God redeems us. God rescues us. And we all know that we're not saved by works. We're not saved by the things we do. But we are saved for works. God saves us and has a plan for us and we work that out. And so my idea was to do a saved for works series where we would talk about the work of work. Or we'd talk about the work of mercy. Because if any of you have tried to extend mercy, oftentimes it feels like work. I thought we could talk about the work of community because we often get offended with each other. I thought we could talk about the work of parenting, because that's, that's a sermon series in itself. Um, and so I was gearing up this way, planning, studying, kind of setting a course, and a couple things happened. One of those was that I actually had a time of prayer with Steve Petorky, and after a service, I was actually over here praying with Steve, and... Um, Don't worry, if I ever pray with you, I'll ask your permission before I share what we prayed about. So don't feel like, man, if I ever pray with Travis, this is going to come up. It probably will, but I'll just ask your permission before I do. But I was praying with Steve, and um, Steve was going through a difficult time. And what he was having a difficult time doing was trusting God. Anybody been there? Opening his hands with his life. And he was just really content um, to do things his way. And so as we're praying, um, he's kind of just sharing, God, I want to trust you with my life. I open my hands. My life is not my own. Would you be the Lord of my life, right? And as we're praying, you know, he starts saying, I want to do what Jesus did. Because we see this picture of Jesus as he's headed to the cross. 
praying, God, if there's any way, any other way to do this, I'd like to do that. If there's any way around the cross, I'd like to take that route. But then Jesus comes to this place where he fully entrusts his life to the Father and he says, but not my will, right? Yours be done. And so I'm praying for Steve that Steve would be able to trust the Father, that he could open his hands, uh, you know, with his life. And it, it occurred to me, Steve, I was just thinking, I was thinking, you will never do what Jesus did unless you believe what Jesus believed about the Father. You cannot do what Jesus did until you think the way Jesus thought. That what empowered Jesus to behave the way he behaved was a belief that he had about the Father. And so I walked away from my time praying with Steve, thinking, man, isn't that true? And how impossible is it to behave the way Jesus behaved when we don't believe what Jesus believed? That's the issue. And if we believed what Jesus believed, it would be easy to behave, not easy, but it would come naturally, let's say, to behave the way that Jesus behaved. Like, if we really believed what Jesus believed about Father God, that he was faithful, that he was near, that he could be trusted, that he was good, that he was beautiful, that he had his best in mind. Well, if we're thinking those thoughts, and we have those beliefs about Father God, then it becomes a little bit easier to do what Jesus did. And I'm sick of the question, what would Jesus do? We've been saying it for decades I think it's an important question to ask, but I think a more important question to ask is what would Jesus think? Because it was his beliefs that caused that behavior, right? It was what he thought that led him to do what he did. And I'm tired of asking the church to behave the way Jesus behaved when you don't believe what he believed. It's a little bit difficult and it feels like an impossible task to ask you to continue to give and be generous when you don't believe that your father is generous and that he's looking out for you. It becomes pretty difficult to be generous when you're not worshiping a generous God, right? I'm tired of asking people to be content in their singleness when they don't honestly believe that God can satisfy them. I'm tired of asking you to do evangelism. What made Jesus so effective at evangelism? I would say he really believed in heaven and hell and you don't. I believe that he also had God's heart for people. So here's the idea. We're going to talk about our thought life. We're going to talk about what we believe and how that guides our behavior. So rather than talking about your behavior, which seems typical in a church setting, that you should do this and don't do this, I'm just going to tell you to think this and don't think this. Got it? (laughs) Then hopefully by the end you'll do this and won't do this, right? Gotcha? So, your thought life is crucial. In order to do what Jesus did, you have to believe what he believed. And often, I think for many of us, Christianity is actually about behavior. And let, hear, hear this right up front Jesus cares deeply about your behavior, which is why. He's challenging your beliefs because your beliefs guide your behavior. You act on what you think on. It's absolutely crucial. A lot of times in church, we'll talk about the tip of the iceberg. We'll talk about the things in your life that are observable, that we can say, well, we we see those habits or we see those actions and we can see those outcomes. But what you need to understand is that there's a lot under the surface. There's a lot under the water. There's thinking. There's what we believe. And then there's what we feel. 
because of those thoughts that are bouncing around inside of us that really does guide our actions and our outcomes. And so I don't want to talk about what we can observe. I want to talk about what's invisible. Your thought life. What you believe. So, here's an example from the life of Jesus. We'll talk about the first sermon Jesus ever preached. And we'll talk about the first commandment. And then we will pray together. Everybody with me? So you've probably read this story before in John chapter 13. You can turn there if you'd like. If not, I'll read it to you and I promise not to insert any words. If you trust me, I'll read it to you. This is a story that you've probably heard before. This is a story about Jesus washing His disciples' feet. This is one of the things for us as Christians, this serves as an example of how we're to what? Humble ourselves, consider others more important than ourselves. This is an example of how Jesus led. Um, And we know that this is an example for us, right? This is something that He did that served as a model for the way that we should live our lives. Everybody knows that we need to do what Jesus did in this passage, If you don't know that, um, I'll read the passage, and then I'll tell you at the end, this is for us. So, chapter 13, verse 1, sorry, verse 4, He, Jesus, laid aside His outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. If you skip down to verse 15, Jesus says, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus takes the towel Shows the full extent of his love. Humbles himself. Washes the disciples' feet. Considers them more important than himself. We know that Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And this is an example for us. Can I ask, how's this going for you? You know, humbling yourself in all. You know, like, not being selfish. How's that working out for you? Well, it's interesting because this, this scripture also tells us what Jesus was thinking and what he actually believed that led to the way that he behaved. And what he did in this passage, I'm going to tell you the way he behaved, I believe is impossible unless you believe what Jesus believed. Verse 1. This is what, again, read your gospels with this lens on. What was Jesus thinking? I see clearly, I can observe what you did. What were you thinking? What did you believe about God? What did you believe about yourself? What did you believe about the situation? What did you believe about your future that led to the way you behave? What would Jesus think? Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So he knew it was coming to an end, right? Having loved his own, his disciples who were in the world, he loved them right to the end. Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, And was going back to God. Laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples feet. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Do you see it? 
Can you see the beliefs that led to this type of behavior? Can you see a man who knows that he's sent? Can you see a man who's secure? Doesn't it sound that way as we read? Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God. As I read this passage, I get the idea that Jesus not only knows that He's sent, that He's here on a mission, He also sounds completely satisfied. Hey, everything I get, I'm getting from the Father. So I don't need anything from you, my disciples. I'm free to give to you. I'm not looking to take. And He's just completely secure and confident. So because he has this, because he's satisfied, because he believes that he's been sent, and because he's secure in the Father's love for him, he's able to suffer well, and he's able to give. And let me tell you, you cannot do this without believing what Jesus believed. Now I think that insecure people can serve. Insecure people can give. But their giving is designed to get something. Their giving is designed to get something. Their giving is disguised as getting. When they give, when they put themselves out, when they serve, when they humble themselves, they expect something in return. And when they don't get it, they quit. When, I don't, when I'm not appreciated the way I want to be appreciated, I'm out. When you take me for granted, I'm done. When you don't acknowledge what I'm doing, this is over. When I don't get from you what I want to get from you, I stop giving because my giving's not giving, my giving's taking. And because Jesus is secure, because Jesus is satisfied, because Jesus knows where he's come from and where he's going, because he's loved, he can love his disciples. And this is giving, right? We know that these guys are about to desert him in his hour of need. We know that he's about to have the beard pulled from his face. We know that he's about to be tortured and crucified, right? And here he is giving. It was what Jesus believed that led to the way that he behaved. And I'm tired of telling you to humble yourself. Serve here at the church. When it's impossible to do what Jesus did when you don't believe what he believed about, fa- about your father, about your life, about your future. Do you know that you're sent? Do you know that you can be satisfied by him? Are you secure in his love? Can you give out of it? Can you humble yourself because you know that you're loved? So what you think, again, is really crucial Um, Another great example of this is Jesus' first sermon. You can turn with me to Matthew 4 if you like. You don't have to because honestly we're not even going to look at his first sermon. We're going to look at the first word of his first sermon. So Jesus began his public ministry at the age of 30. Up to that point he had been waiting and watching most likely forming a sermon, wondering when is my time, when is my time, when will I go public, when will I come out as the God-man, when will I share with the world what I'm really up to, again, waiting, watching. And so, this is his first public sermon. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I sit back and watch, and that's what Jesus had been doing to this point, was sitting back, watching people, watching the way they work, watching the way they interact with each other. And I'm sure he probably had, you know, could have had potentially a lot to say. My old man growing up, it was like he would invite me to come work with him, but then he would watch the way that I worked and he would tell me to work differently, Right? So my big deal is that I love to pull push brooms. And it just irritated my dad. Because I'd have the push broom and I'd be pulling the push broom into a pile, you know. And my dad couldn't take it. He couldn't watch someone use something improperly. And it was like, that's called a push broom. And you push a push broom. You don't pull a push broom, you push a push broom, you know. 
Sometimes you know this, right? It's hard to sit back and watch people do things and say things that you know are not right. And this is where Jesus is at. For 30 years, he's waiting and watching. So you better believe that this first sermon is an important one. And this is how he starts his very first sermon. He's going public in ministry. Jesus began to preach, says Matthew 4, saying, repent. Repent. That's a huge word, right? What do you think about, since for the next few weeks we're going to be thinking about our thinking, what do you think about when I say the word repent? You've probably heard the word before, right? Like yelled at you through a megaphone maybe? With a guy standing next to a sandwich board that has like all the possible like STDs you could get, you know, listed on it for fornicating or I don't know. Where, what, are, what do you think of when you think of this word repent? Maybe you didn't think about that, sorry. <laughs> well, to each his own. Um, you know, you've. Maybe you've heard it come from the mouth of a preacher over and over again, you know, and they add a syllable, you know, repent, uh, you know, <laughs> repent, uh, you know. What do you think about when you hear this word repent? What comes to mind? The megaphone, the preacher with poor grammar. What, what comes to mind when I say this word repent? Well, I can tell you for myself, um, I think if I'm honest, because I could maybe give myself a might be able to talk myself out of this, but what comes to mind for me is that I should feel guilty for something I'm doing, and I should change my behavior. I should go in a different direction. I should stop doing something that I'm doing. I should stop behaving the way I'm behaving. So for me, if I was sitting where you were sitting and someone said, repenta, I would be like, I just think, you know, I, I've got to... I, I need to repent of being angry with my kids. That would come immediately for me. I'd feel guilty for the way that I treat my, my kids, and I would start to feel guilty about that, and I would, I would say, I need to change this behavior, God. What is it for you when I say repent? Do you feel guilty for something you're doing, some way you're behaving? Maybe I say repent, and you automatically think I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, and that needs to change, or... I say repent and you think I got to stop yelling at the refs at my four-year-old's t-ball game. You know, no one cares, right? Or I say repent and you say, I, I'm tucking, I'm, I'm drinking to cope with life. I know what I'm doing and I know it needs to change, right? So that makes sense that Jesus would come and he'd be sitting back and he would be watching people do things that they shouldn't be doing And that he should step up and that his first sermon should be repent. Stop doing what you're doing. Change the way you behave. But do you know that that's not what the word repent means? Metanoia, the word we have for repent there, actually means to change the way you think. So Jesus' first sermon, he's going public in ministry, he steps up. And he doesn't actually address people's behavior directly. He actually says you need to change the way you think. His first sermon, his first message, the first word of his first message is essentially an invitation for you to think about the way that you're thinking. Why? Because Jesus knew long before your counselor did that what you believe determines how you behave. So let me say it again, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about your behavior, it's that he absolutely cares about your behavior. And he knows that in order for there to be lasting change in your behavior, you have to change what you believe. What you're thinking is leading to what you're feeling. What you're feeling is leading to the way that you're acting, and the way that you're acting are leading to certain outcomes in your life. And if you want to change the way you behave, you've got to dive into what you actually believe. So, so this is 
I, 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 thought, I think this is pretty profound. Because, you know, we, we know this now and, you know, there's a lot that we can re- read about the way that we behave, why we behave the way we do, why we've been hardwired, you know, through our upbringing to behave the way. But Jesus knew this like a bajillion years ago. Jesus knew this a long time ago, that who you are is the result of the thoughts that you continue to feed on, that you continue to consume, that it's shaping your life. Jesus, in, this, in his very first sermon, which I find this fascinating, was more interested in our thoughts and our ability to think right than he was concerned with our behaviors and our ability to act right. So, example of this uh, from my own life. This morning I woke up, right? I'm here. I know it's probably one of the, write that down. This morning I woke up. Um, I woke up this morning, and uh, last night Jared Turner uh, and Rachel Smith, Jared is on staff here, um, he got married. Yeah, don't cheer. Because they're going to, they'll come back, they'll come back and we'll cheer for them when they do. We don't want to do that without them here. So, they got married and and I was in the wedding and it was a really late night. And I had spent much of the week in St. Louis and didn't spend a lot of time preparing for the sermon. So when I returned from the wedding, I started to prepare and I've gotten in a pretty good habit of preparing sermons on Saturday nights and early Sunday morning. And um, so I went home after the wedding and I started to work on the sermon and I fell asleep. And, uh, and so what I told myself and what I told Tiff was that I'll just wake up early. I'll head down to the church as I typically do. I'll stop at Scotty's, which is what I typically do. And... Um, and with coffee and donut in hand, I will finish this sermon. And so I set my alarm for 4.30 this morning. And it was a late night. And I did what you should do when your alarm is set for 4.30. I ignored it. And I, and I woke up at 6. And um, so I woke up at 6 o'clock. I rolled over, looked at my phone. This isn't good. I didn't spend the time I needed to spend working on this sermon. And I realized right then and there that I could go in a couple different directions. I could go more than a couple different directions, but the fork in the road was very clear for me. And usually when I wake up like that, having slept in and feeling underprepared, my thinking goes something like this. Because I woke up late, my sermon is going to be like this. If my sermon is like this, people are going to think like this. And if people think like this, then they'll be disappointed. If they leave the church disappointed, then I'll feel rejected. And if I get rejected, then I won't have what I want most in life, which is love. Now, it's 4.30 in the morning, so I typically don't put this together And I wouldn't say that this is real conscience, you know, thought. I'm not lining these things up, right? But I'll tell you, if you trace my anxiety when I wake up like that, back to something, you'll find this type of thinking. That what I'm feeling is based on some things that I'm thinking, whether I'm aware of what I'm thinking or not. So I wake up. And that's where I'm starting to go. I didn't prepare. Because I woke up late, the sermon's going to be like this. Because the sermon's like this, people are going to leave. And because... (laughs) Hey, no, no, no. No, no, no. All right, does everyone want to leave now? Sorry. Uh, You're totally cool to go. I... This would be a great time if you need to leave. Um,
You know, so, so I'll start to think that and I'll start to feel really anxious. And I'll start to feel like, man, I'm going to waste people's time. I hate wasting people's time. And, um, but I woke up. I opened my eyes. And because I had spent the whole week thinking about what Jesus would think, I started to think to myself, I wonder what Jesus would think about this, you know? And uh, so I started to go a different direction in my thought life. And I started to say to myself, thanks for that wedding last night. That was so cool, God. I'm so excited for Jared and Rachel. I started to think, God, you're huge. You can use just about anything, and I'm pretty sure you could use me this morning. I started to think, God, maybe you knew I needed an hour and a half more sleep than I needed an hour and a half of preparation. Holy Spirit, you live inside of me, and you can do whatever you want. Right? And so then I'm like, yeah, I don't feel so anxious, you know? I hopped in the shower, Tiff woke up, and she was just as panicked, because I was still at the house, and it was 6.30, you know? So she comes in, and, and, and what I hear, her first, she just looks at me, and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, I think so. I think I'm all right, you know? She's like, what are you going to do? I don't know, you know? God's big, though, and he leads this church. And you're his sheep, and you hear his voice. And it's not about what I do or the way I perform, but it's about what he's done and the way he's performed. Right? So then, I'm not feeling the same anxiety. I'm not feeling the same pressure. I'm not feeling the same fears, right? And now, because I'm secure, then I get to come to church and give something rather than take something from you. And I know you'd like to think, oh, Travis, thanks so much for giving so much to the church. I take quite a bit. I get my identity from what I do. Um, I get approval from what I do. And when that need goes unmet in me, I come to church not looking to give something, but looking to get something from people. And when I don't get what I want, I quit. Right? Because people aren't appreciating me, right? So now all of a sudden I can choose a way of thinking where my identity is secure. My identity is not found in people's approval or saying that was the best message I've ever heard. I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm sent by God to serve this church. I know that I can be satisfied in Him. I know that I'm secure in His love and not in the approval that comes from people, right? And it's a really amazing place to live. And I think it's what made Jesus so stinking attractive. Because he lived there. People flocked to him. Because that's where he lived. Secure. Able to give. Not looking to take. Because he had received so much from his father. So my invitation to you. uh, During this series of sermons. Would one be to come back. If you've never been here before. That would be awesome. To come for the series. Um, My second invitation Um, would be for you to think about your thinking. Would you investigate the beliefs that guide your behavior? That you wouldn't just look to fix or deal with the way you behave, but would you take a look at what you believe? What you're actually feeding on. And so I'd like you to be brave enough to look at that, and I'd like you to be courageous enough to confess it. Because it's kind of embarrassing, right? I mean, it's probably a good thing that, you know, some of your thoughts don't see daylight. Probably a good thing that a majority of your thoughts don't see daylight. Sometimes I don't even want to open my mouth with what I... Have you ever been asked by someone, hey, what are you thinking? And you're like, nope. Nope. Or you just make something up. Oh, I was just thinking about the day yesterday. and But really you were thinking about like beating somebody up or something crazy. So, um, I, I'd like you to be courageous. 
and, and, and bring what you think to the light, what you really believe. And this is what I find in myself and in other Christians. Hear me. What you really believe is buried underneath a bunch of Christian jargon that you've learned to recite. I can tell because I look at your behavior. And your behavior says that you believe something completely different about God than what you're saying you believe. So just be courageous enough to stop this, the whole, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, brother, you know, doing good, you know, God's so good. If that's true, I mean, yeah. But would you be brave enough to explore that maybe you don't actually believe what you say you believe? I know God's not scared of what you actually think. I am. I'm really scared to give a church this, like, invitation. <laughs> Take it to Him. Sometimes, um, I'll end, I'll end by, by saying this. What you feed your thought life with is just as important as what you feed your body with. That what you consume obviously shapes us, right? What you eat actually shapes your waste. What you feed on in your thought life, what you consume here is just as important and it will shape your life. And in fact, what you feed on here is more important than what you feed on here. This will determine your life. What you decide to focus in on, repeat, consume, regurgitate, return to over and over again will shape your life. Just like what you eat will shape your waist, what you feed on here will shape your life. It's crucial. And I know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've had a couple, I've had a couple like, um, visits with personal trainers I wouldn't call it a visit it's more like a uh, you know where you go in and they kind of come on help me out here a consultation thank you so it's a consultation with a personal trainer and sometimes again it can be really embarrassing to come out with what you eat you know because that's always the question well what you're eating like oh it's not great that's what I say it's not great you know but it's not like bad, you know, and then they say, well, well, what did you eat? And then, uh, and you're like, again, it's like coming out with your, you know, it's just like, man, this stuff should not see the light of day, you know, and you're like, ah, well, I went to Scotty's this morning, you know, and then it gets even more specific, and you ordered what? Uh, I got a donut, you know, and it's like, and I finished my daughter's donut that she didn't finish, you know. And, it's like, and I got a coffee. And then the question is this, right? What would you put in your coffee? Milk and sugar? I mean, because I don't like coffee, I like milk and sugar, you know. <laughs> and, and, then, and then it's like, and, you know, and then what would you eat for lunch? And by this time you're like, dude, I don't even want to say this right now, you know. I had pizza, you know. Okay, how many pieces of pizza did you have? I don't know, I lost track, you know. <laughs> what size pizza did you order? We got a large. Who's a we? Two, two of us. Two of us got a large. <laughs> it was March Madness, you know. What'd you put on the pizza? Mayonnaise, you know, like <laughs> ranch. Buckets of freaking ranch, you know. It's, it's terrible. It's totally embarrassing. What'd you drink? Soda, you know. Was it diet? No, it wasn't diet. Did you refill it? Yeah. Twice, you know. It's totally embarrassing, right? 
And I think sometimes sharing our thought life is a bit like that. And it can be so tempting just to lie. That's the temptation I feel when I'm meeting with someone like that. Was it diet? No. Do you refill it once, twice? I refilled it twice, you know. It's humiliating. And I think coming out with your thought life will be really embarrassing. But here's what I found, and, and I'll share this as the weeks go on, but especially this most recent one, people aren't like terribly shocked when I, because I'll feel a lot of pressure. Like, boy, if I share this, man, they won't respect me enough to follow me. If I tell them what I'm really thinking, that I really have doubts about God and His existence, people will think, well, I'm not interested in going to a church where a pastor has that type of deal going on. I've got that type of deal going on, and I've come here for answers, right? And you know what? I found that, like, the more honest I am about what's going on, the more helpful it is for you, and the more healthy our church is. It's not pretending to be something we're not. And so I'd ask you to be courageous and let what you think see the light of day. And I think you'll be surprised at the way people react and respond. I don't know if it'll mean the rejection that you think it will mean. It may. But you'd rather be integrous than be kind of double-minded. There are, honestly, there are people who leave the church because I'm honest. So, I don't want to paint this picture like if you come out with what you really think, everyone's going to flock to you. That won't be the case. But you'll live with peace. So, here we have it. God can handle what you really think. If you read the Bible, there's a lot of guys getting pretty mouthy about what they think. It's not everybody, not everyone in this book is saying sweet things about who God is. There are some people getting really real with what's going on. And God can handle that. And the last thing I want to leave you with is just kind of the why. Why would we do this? Why would we get honest? You know, this isn't about just discovering why you do what you do. I'm not looking to heal your inner child. I'm not, you know, we're not just looking for the, you know, I was made fun of because I had freckles. or I'm, It's not just about that. That first sermon where Jesus said, think about the way you're thinking, is very much about the first commandment. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind and strength. What does it look like for us to love God with our whole mind? So next week, we'll talk about the father facts. Jesus came to inform our, fathers, our father facts. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. Simply because the God you see is the Christian you'll be. You will become what you behold. And you want to make sure you're seeing Him straight. So we'll talk about what you believe about God next week. The week after that, we'll talk about renewing our minds. Paul promises that transformation comes as we renew our minds. Again, this is why the Bible's amazing. This is a bajillion years ago. The Holy Spirit knows how to counsel. He knows how to bring comfort. You guys up for this? Let's stand. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read a a passage from Colossians that I believe God put on my heart. And as I read it, I'll stop and we'll pray together. I'm going to warn you right now, it's like 12 verses and this prayer will go for four minutes. You all right with that? You've been sitting for a while. Holy Spirit, uh, we invite you to search us, know us. Reveal Jesus to us. We want to know what He thought. 
I'm just totally fascinated with what he believed. And we see, God, that it's so crucial that we believe what he believed in order to behave the way he behaved. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to counsel us. First Colossians nine or First Colossians one verse nine says, For this reason, this is Paul writing, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We want the wisdom that comes from the Spirit. Holy Spirit, teach us. You're a teacher, a counselor. And again, you bring the comfort that we need so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Father, we want to grow in our knowledge of You because we want to bear fruit. And as we behold You for who You really are, we know that we'll produce. I pray, God, that this church would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That we would continually think about the way we're thinking and because of it, it would bear fruit. You'd grow us. Be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. God, help us. Help us be patient. Help us endure. We've got deep ruts in our minds. And we've tried before to stop or to start or to change. And we've failed. Help us to be patient. To suffer long. To suffer well. Help us to endure to the end. Again, Holy Spirit, do what you do. And empower us. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we're we're asking that Your light would come on the way we think. So much of it is in the dark. So much of it has, has yet to be exposed. And we trust You to expose us. We trust You to heal us. I pray, God, that You would shine on dark, um, kind of deserted areas in our lives. Transfer us from the dominion of darkness and into the light. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything He might have the supremacy. Jesus, You reign supreme. Would You be enthroned over our thought life? Would You be Lord of our thought life? We think, God, that we can just continue to think whatever we want and that it doesn't really have an impact because we don't maybe say it or share it, but the truth is is it's having a huge impact and we want to bring it. We want to take our thoughts. We want to make them obedient to you. We want to cast down things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Help us. Help us to think about our thinking. Reign supreme, Jesus, be enthroned, be king over our thought life. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Thank You for the power of the cross. Thank You for the power of Your blood, its ability to make all things new. I pray that you would make us new, that you would change us by renewing our minds. Thank you that you died to see change happen. We trust you for that change. We trust that you can bring it about. Once you were alienated from God, 
You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus, we want to be a radiant church. We're not saying that about ourselves. I don't feel very radiant most days. But Jesus, you said that you would have a church that was radiant, that was without spot or blemish. And we trust you to bring it about. We want to live into that. We want to live into all you called us to be. We believe in your promise. And I just want to pray the biggest thing, the biggest thing, the biggest thing. Agree with me here. I want to have a church that's free from accusation. In our minds, God, we're accusing you constantly. In our minds, we're accusing you constantly. In our minds, we're agreeing with the accuser. In our minds, we're accusing others. In our minds, we're accusing ourselves. We're hating on ourselves. And I'm asking you, God, to do a miracle in this church that we would be a church that was free from accusation. That we would no longer believe the lies of the enemy. That we would no longer side with him, but we would side with the truth. Help us to be a people that live free of accusation, Lord, where we've agreed year after year. Every time we've looked in the mirror, we've agreed with self-hatred. I pray that you would break that off and make us new. Where we've agreed with hatred and unforgiveness towards others over and over and over again. I pray that you would break that and make it new. And where we've accused you, where we've not believed in who you are, and we've continued to say things about you that are not true, I pray that you would break that, that we would see you for you, for who you really are, that we would believe in you, that we would behave and fruit would come from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, God, for what you're up to. Thank you, God. See you next week. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time.